0: Good morning WCF, glad you're here this morning, come on and find your seat as we've gathered together to uh, worship our God, you know our God is worthy to be praised and uh, he is a great God and so this morning I invite you to come, let us worship our king, let us bow at his feet for he has done great things in our lives, amen? Well, let's stand together and worship our God. One, two, three, four.
1: Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His ease. He has done great. Oh yeah! Did you praise me? Oh hero of heaven, you come to the grave, you free every captive and break every chain of oh, God. You have done great. Unshakable, hallelujah You have done great things Hallelujah, God Above it all Hallelujah, God Unshakable, hallelujah You have done great things You've done great things Sing it out now Hero of heaven and break it.
2: about this time. I'm reminded of a time when we were struggling. We had a teenager that was driving me crazy. You guys have never experienced this, I'm sure. And I was at Wits End and my wife, my wisdom, told me, why don't you call that uh, new youth pastor we have? Like, well, okay. So I did. And he answered. It was kind of cool. I told him what was going on. And he asked me the hardest question I've ever heard. Well, have you prayed with him? (laughs) No? Well, try it. Well, we're still here. And um, a couple weekends ago, Carrie and I were able to to witness a wedding for that same child. So we made it through that. Anyway, this month we get an opportunity to, to appreciate our pastors. Appreciate Pastor Tom and all he does. He's been dealing with a with a foot that would drive me crazy. Pastor Kerry has to deal with me, which got to drive him crazy. Anyway, today this morning we'd like to to give you a little gift. Come on up here, Kerry. you have anything you want to say? Okay. So Yeah, we Pastor Mike, is, is, he's out doing his pastor thing at the moment. So we'll have a chance to appreciate him in a little bit. So second service. So um, let's pray real quick. Okay. Father, thank you. Thank you for these men that so diligently give their life for us to be your arms, your heart, your voice when we need you. Father, they sacrifice so much. And we appreciate them so much. It's not much, but hopefully this thank you will at least give them a cup of coffee and a smile. So, Lord, bless these men and their families. I ask this in Jesus' name.
3: Amen. Amen. move forward with uh, worshiping God. God, I thank you. I thank you for your provisions that you've given to us. And and whether we're packing a shoebox or we're handing out candy on, on Halloween, Lord, we know that we need to be missional. and, and serving you and making disciples and sharing the gospel, Lord, empower us to do that by your spirit, that you would call us into service, that we would give of ourselves towards others for the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the work that you're doing with Pete and Charity, and we pray for their protection, but mostly we also pray for the protection of the people that they minister with, and the the battles that are going on and the riots that are happening, and we think of Israel. God, even as we look today, it is, it is such a hotbed of of conflict. Lord, we would ask that you would bring peace to Jerusalem, peace to Israel. But we know that that will only come when you come, Lord Jesus, the peacemaker. We thank you that we can see the end of the story. We know that you will come. But till then, so many people are suffering, so we pray for our brothers and sisters that are there and we pray that you would bring an end to this by your presence. This morning, Lord, we sit in this place, this house of worship, and we want to worship you with the first fruits of that which you've given to us, this offering. God, may you use these these resources that we give back to you for your kingdom's purpose, for your honor and for your glory. May you receive them from hearts that are, are hilariously giving to the needs of others. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: creation What you have done One name is higher One name is strong God you.
0: we just sang truly captivate our attention. That Your name and only Your name, Lord Jesus, is higher, is stronger. You've already proved that it's stronger than any grave because the grave could not hold You. Your name is greater than any throne for You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ the anointed one you are exalted over all may we never forget the truth of those spirits, that you are the only Savior and you are the only one alone that's worthy of our praise it doesn't matter what circumstances of life look like, what's going on on the other side of the globe. You are king. And your purposes will be fulfilled. I encourage you to sing that again from the depths of your being. One name is higher.
1: One name is stronger.
0: Those words that we just sang is our prayer. That Jesus, you and you alone are God. You and you alone are everything that we need. And as we daily put our faith in you, then we know you're going to take care of us. You're never going to leave us. And that you will always be our Savior, our Lord, and our God. So we worship you this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: You may be seated. Well, we're in uh, Joshua 22 this morning, so if you would open up your Bibles there. And we're going to be taking a look at this narrative of the land of Israel coming to a place of of being settled by God's people. And here in chapter 22, we're going to see something that I think is relevant for us all. And the relevance is the dangers of making assumptions. How many of you guys have ever made an assumption before? Yep, y'all. How many of you ever made an assumption and found out it was wrong? Uh-huh. We make assumptions all the time. Most of the time when we make assumptions, we we're making those assumptions based on on what we know but There's a real danger in making false assumptions because I can tell you this, a false assumption will lead to error 100% of the time. When you start out with a false assumption that is already false and you start traveling down that road, it's an unsubstantiated assumption based on not having all the facts. And so you move forward and you make an action or you commit an action based on not having all the, all the facts and you're going down this road that's based on a falsehood. And I want to give you an example. For example, if I was to go to the top of the church building right here, get all the way up on the top, right out here in front, stand on the edge and say, I assume that I could fly and jump. Now, would that be a false assumption? Sure it would. Because I know I can't fly. I don't have the power to fly. When would I realize that my assumption is false? (laughs) When I launch off the building and I fall and then curse flat within that. We usually don't find out that our assumption is false until disaster strikes, until until the, the facts come and prove it as being false. One of the greatest threats to human relationships is people making false assumptions about other people. Would you agree with that? We make an assumption, it's a false assumption, unsubstantiated. Um, when we think about all of these, and as I was studying, I came across a quote from Henry, Henry Winkler, which I thought was interesting, you know, some of you guys go, yeah, what does the Fonz have to do with this? <laughs> but it's an interesting statement. He says, assumptions are like termites to a relationship. And you think about that. Assumptions are like termites to a relationship. What does he really mean behind that? Well, termites are working behind the scenes And they're eating away at the timbers and the things that are there. And you really don't realize the damage that's caused until the building falls. And we start making these series of assumptions. And we really don't realize what that looks like until devastation has already hit us. T.D. Jakes says this, and I believe it to be true. Ignorance is brought about by assumptions. Ignorance is brought about by assumptions. You create an assumption and you follow that assumption and you're really following ignorance. Why? Because you didn't stop to get all the facts prior to moving forward with the action. And so we need to understand, we make assumptions every day, but when we make assumptions in relationships, unsubstantiated assumptions... They may be true, they may be false, but we really don't know until we do something very important. And it's called communication. To talk through and find out what those assumptions are all about. And you say, well, Carrie, what does this have to do with Joshua and Israel going into the land? In Joshua's chapter 22 through 24, we're coming to an end of Joshua's narrative of the children of Israel coming into the land. There is now peace in the land. There's peace in the land of Israel. As all of the nation has gathered together, they fought all the Canaanites, they have conquered the land. And the two and a half tribes from the eastern side have come in. And the nine and a half tribes on the western side have joined forces. And they've conquered the land and everybody has their inheritance. And now the war is over. Peace in the land. But Satan doesn't like to leave peace in the land. And so he plants the seed of assumption that's going to create havoc in this. Peace is very fragile as we are witnessing even in the Middle East today. Where a demonic delusion is moving across in people's hearts and minds and even in our nation today. Where they're believing things that are not true and acting upon them. This is relevant for today because so many false assumptions are flying around the world destroying relationships on every level. Nationally, in the workplace, and even in homes. We need this lesson today. We need to understand how to avoid these false assumptions and these quick assumptions and gain understanding through communication. We're going to see how... Peace, being so fragile, almost is destroyed by an assumption. I'm going to ask that you stand. We we haven't done this in a while, but we're going to stand. We're actually going to read through the whole text. It's important to pay attention to the text so that you gain the understanding of what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. Joshua 22, 1-34 It says, And then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have listened to my voice in all that I've commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days today, but have kept the charge of the commandments of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he has spoken to them. Therefore, Now turn and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord, your God, walk in all his ways, keep his commandments, hold fast to him, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Joshua blessed them and then sent them away. And they went to their tents. Now, to one and a half tribes of Manasseh, Moses had given the possession in Bashan. And, but to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among the brothers westward beyond the Jordan. So when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. And he said to them, return to your tents with great riches and very much livestock with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with very many clothes. Divide the spoil among uh, of your enemies with your brothers And the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and half of Manasseh returned home and departed from the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they have possessed according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. Now, when they had come to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben, sons of Gad and half Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard it and said, behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar in the frontier land of Canaan and in the region of Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. And then the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest. And with him ten chiefs, one chief for each of the father's household from each of the tribes of Israel. And each one of them was the head of his father's household among the household, the thousands of Israel. They came to the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following the Lord this day, by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day? Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us, which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day? Although a plague came on the congregation, Lord, that you must turn away from this day, from following the Lord. And if you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. And if, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. Didn't Achan, the son of Zarach? act unfaithfully in these things under the ban, and wrath fall on the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. And the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and half of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the family, The Mighty One, God, the Lord, the Mighty One, God, the Lord. He knows, and may Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or if it was an unlawful act against the Lord, Do not save us this day. If we built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings on it, or if to offer sacrifice of peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it. But truly, we have done this out of concern for a reason. Saying, in time, your sons may say to our sons, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you, your sons of Reuben and sons of Gad, and you have no portion in the Lord. Your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifice. Rather, it'll be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we are able, we are to perform The service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion of the Lord. Therefore, we said, it shall also come about if they say this to us or to our generations in time to come. Then we shall say, see the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, it is a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offerings or grain offerings or sacrifice besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. So when Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the congregation, even the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words which the sons of Reuben, sons of Gad, and sons of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the sons of Reuben, to the sons of Gad, and to the sons of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hands of the Lord. And then Phineas, the son of Eleazar, and the leaders returned from the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and from the Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the sons of Israel, brought back word to them. And the word pleased the sons of Israel, and the sons of Israel blessed God, and they did not speak of going up against them in war to destroy the land in which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad were living. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. May God bless the reading of this word. You can be seated. What strikes you in that narrative? For me, it was the danger of making a false assumption. It is imperative, it is imperative that we slow down in our process of of judging one another and not getting to this place where we make an assumption based on what we see and what we perceive as being true because you may be wrong. Within this, we make assumptions all the time. One of the first things that we find in the first part of this passage is the setup that Israel wanted to live in peace. They were seeking to live in peace. God had given the land and given a mandate, destroy all the Canaanites and get them out because of their idolatry and their unpeaceful lifestyle. Now they're in peace. One of the things that I think that is super important is to understand how this all works together. And, and I got a couple of maps and illustrations that I want to share with you so that it'll because I'm going to use the term Eastern and western tribes. So if we were to look at the land if I can get this there we go or not? If you look on the map on the left side, That is what we would call the western side. There are nine and a half tribes that are on the west. And then you have East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben on the east side. And so when they come into the land... Yeah, this thing's dead. When they're they're talking about there, there's the Jordan River that's between them. Seven years earlier, when they came into that land... Moses had already given Manasseh, half of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben their place. But Moses said, "You go into the land with the other nine and a half, and you fight as one nation. All twelve, you go in and you conquer that land. The war is over. Joshua is bringing everybody. Thank you. Joshua is bringing everybody into back into the land. So as we look at this, this is the Jordan River." This is Gilgal here, and so we see all of these tribes that are here. They went in and they conquered this whole land, and they're back at Shiloh, which is right there, and they are being released to go back to their land. Now, could you imagine, seven years you've been away from your family, seven years you've been in this place, and, and now it's time to go home, and Joshua declares, and if you heard it, because I tried to emphasize it, Joshua declares, he says, you've been faithful You've obeyed all of the commands of the Lord. You've faithfully served your brothers. You've been here for seven years and you've been in this place to support. You've been faithful. Now go. Go back to your homes. Go back and be released. But he warns them and he warns them with the same words that God warns them. Joshua is now going to fade from the scene, it's going to be a theocratic or God ruled nation. And each clan was going to rule their area. But he says this in the same words that God gave him in Joshua 1, 7 to 8. He says, "...only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful..." To do according to all that's written on it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. What was the key to success? Learn the word of God. Do the word of God. That's the same thing for today, isn't it? You want to be successful? Learn the word of God. Do the word of God. And so he says, as you go back, make this the key for you. Now, within this, he wants to give to them this command. And he ends his exhortation to them in what's called the Shema. Have you ever heard of the Shema? It's it's really the marching orders for the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 6, 4-6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be in your heart. As you go, Obey the words of God and keep your heart focused on God. Now, is that something that we as believers today could focus on? The answer would be absolutely yes. I could do that. And so Joshua says, you're done. Go to your families and now let's live as a nation. Let's live as a nation in our respective areas by which we can serve within this. And so Joshua then gives them a blessing of peace, verses 6 through 9. Joshua blessed them, sent them away, all the tribes to their areas, and he blessed them with their possessions. He gave to them livestock. He gave to them all the wealth. You know what's super cool about this? When we think about what has happened. Two and a half tribes spend seven years working. But previous to that, the nine and a half tribes that hadn't got their land helped the eastern tribes get their land and they got the loot, the, 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 all the bounty and all the things from the Moabites. So the nine and a half tribes shared in the wealth on the eastern side and now the two and a half tribes will share in the wealth from the western side and everything's even and it's all time for them to go back. And so Joshua blesses them. Now, did you see anywhere in that first eight verses, in that narrative, malice or, or greed or unfaithfulness in the two and a half tribes? Was there, was there any of that in there? No, there wasn't. Their hearts were pure. Their intentions were pure. They could have said, we're not going in the land. We've got our space. You guys go figure it out. But they said, no, we're going to obey God and we're not going to rebel against God and we're going to obey His word. The historical practice of these two and a half tribes declared that they had pure motives. One of the dangers that we have in making false assumptions against other people is we forget the historical relationship that we have with people and we jump to an instantaneous conclusion... About them, and we forget the faithfulness of the relationship in the past. Somebody does something, and we perceive it to be an offense, and we say, Oh, I'm offended by you. But you have all this history of love, and care, and concern, and support for many years, but instantly we jump to accepting an offense. You ever wonder why we do that? Why are people so offended? so easily and we wrestle with that joshua is returning and he gave him five exhortations when you go back obey the commands of the law love the lord your god walk in his ways hold fast to him serve him with all your heart soul and mind and go and they were faithful within this so we think about their faithfulness now that's just the platform for what we would determine as a false assumption. And I want you to think about how many times people have made a false assumption against you. And they make this assumption about you and they say, well, you just don't care. You you don't want to be involved. Or you just don't have time for me. And that happens all the time. I had that happen just two weeks ago. Somebody got really upset with me. They sent me a text message. And I responded to the text message, but not in a manner that they thought I should. And then they got mad. And they told somebody else, he doesn't care. What they don't know is when they sent the text message, I was in the midst of counseling with somebody who was dying. And I didn't have the opportunity to go in depth in that response. All I said was, I'll be praying for you. Acknowledged it because I had something else that was going on. You never know what is going on behind the scenes. I hate text messages. I hate them. I hate emails. Why? Because there is no opportunity to have a conversation with somebody and to get tone and face and value and all of those things. So what ends up happening is you can, and I don't care how many emojis you put on the stupid thing, You never get the heart. And so we make these assumptions off these one-dimensional stupid things. If I had my druthers, we'd throw cell phones on the river and be done with them. What happened to having a face-to-face conversation with somebody? We hide behind technology. And then we end up creating these false assumptions and we forget the history behind the relationship. These two and a half tribes have been faithful for seven years. They've left their kids, their family, their land and all of this to support their brothers to get into the land. And now reasonably, it's time for them to go home and be with their family. That is the, the, the backdrop to this text that we see is going on. And, and you've got to understand, it doesn't matter if it's nationally or in the business world or in your family, unity is very, very, very fragile. Especially when you base decisions and actions on assumptions, not conversation and not truth within this. I love what James writes in his word in James chapter 1, 19 to 20. He says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be, what does it say? Quick to, hear, slow to, speak, slow to, anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. How often do we reverse that order? We become angry first, right? And then we start blurting out. And I can tell you this, there's a thing in the brain. When you engage this, this stops working. It does. Try it. I know you do it with your kids. When they're talking, they're not listening. We think about it. You know, the old saying, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Why? So we would listen twice as much as we speak. It's a danger. So what ended up happening? Verses 9 through 12. What we see is a, an uninformed perception that led to an assumption. As we read through this, the Western j- tribes jumped to a negative assumption. Now, mind you, you've got the two and a half tribes. They get their stuff. Everything's good. They start heading out. As they're going out, they're going to this place called Gilgal. And Gilgal is right across from the Jordan River. We studied this a while back. Modern Gilgal's here. Jericho's here. And this is Camp Gilgal. So we don't know exactly where the altar is. It's in this region somewhere. As they're coming across, they'll cross the Jordan River over to the eastern side within this but they're going to build an altar somewhere in that region we don't know where that altar is but i'll give you an idea of different kinds of altars that are there it wouldn't have been an altar like this or a small altar like this this would have been more like the altar that abraham would have offered isaac upon It would have been any stone on the top of Mount Moriah, which I believe to be on the Dome of the Spirits that's on the Temple Mount. That's a study for another time. But we know that there was different kind of altars that they had. It most likely would have been a tiered stone altar like this. This altar would have been more like in the Temple Mount where it would have been solid bronze, but it would have been large. Now, the text tells us that it was very large, super large. It was visible from a distance. When we go to Israel, Lord willing, in March, one of the places we go to is Mount Nebo. On the top of Mount Nebo, it overlooks this valley. You can see the city of Jericho from the top of Mount Nebo. This, this altar would have been large enough from the top of Mount Nebo to see from there. It was huge that was in this place. But the problem is the sons of Israel heard... Did they see it? They heard. That tells you how did they hear it. By rumor. That the sons, that these two and a half tribes had built this altar. Now, if you carefully read the text, something else is interesting. The fragility of unity had already been broken Because they identify themselves as the sons of Israel versus those other guys that live on the other side of the Jordan. Did you pick that up? We, the sons of Israel that live in Canaan land, God's promised land, have a problem with you other guys who built an altar. And you never should build an altar there. And so without investigation, they said, we're going to go to war. Now they just got done fighting and taking the land. They're going to go to war against who? Their brothers within this. And again, we think about this this false assumption. And where does it come from? It comes from believing the worst about somebody rather than believing the best. Why by nature do we tend to believe the worst about somebody rather than believing the best? Why do we jump to a negative conclusion rather than the positive assumption that is there? Why do we do that? Because we are driven by our sin nature. I can always tell when the assumption comes from the flesh of man. Because it always believes the worst about somebody. It jumps to that that negative side, to judge first, to condemn first without the facts. And that's what's happening. And they didn't find out what was going on. They just jumped to the conclusion and said, you built an altar and you are not supposed to build an altar. How do they know they're not supposed to build the altar? Because the law said so. The two and a half tribes knew the law. Leviticus chapter 17 verses 8 and 9 says this, Then you shall say to them, if any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens will sojourn among them who offer burnt offerings or sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting and offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. In other words, God said, by law, the only acceptable place to bring an offering is to the tabernacle. And anybody that tries to do it anywhere else shall be cut off. Why? Because they're creating their own form of worship. They're worshiping possibly another God. One of the greatest threats to the nation of Israel was idolatry. Creating a subset of of worship of Yahweh. And God says, you will not violate that law. If they do that, cut them off. Within this, we see also in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 to 15. It says this, if you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, Anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their cities, saying, let us go and serve other gods whom you've not known. Note, then you shall investigate and search out the inquiry thoroughly. If it's true and the matter is established and an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that's in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword in other words god says it's capital punishment now were the western tribes correct in saying there should only be one altar in for israel to worship at and it's in the tabernacle were they correct yes where did they fail they assumed that the other tribe, based on perception and hearing, that the other tribe was actually making another altar. And they went right to kill him. Destroy him. But they forgot the part in the law in Deuteronomy that says, first you have to investigate. The other part is, it's the whole, it says the whole congregation. Again, another fracture in unity. It wasn't the whole congregation because two and a half tribes are part of the congregation. But they believe only those, at this point, only those that are in the land of Canaan are the frozen chosen. And the others are outside of the promise and the protection of the tabernacle. Church, be very, very, very careful. When you look at other believers... With a critical heart, a judgmental spirit, and make assumptions without knowing all of the facts. There is a legal precedence. And yes, they they were authorized to kill. But the law states that you have to investigate. And you cannot create a name of yourself as if you're elite above other people. It's very dangerous. Because what happens when we make a false assumption is we believe we're right and the other person is wrong without asking a question. You have to ask the question. You have to have that conversation. And you have to be willing to say, maybe I'm wrong. You have to seek the truth. And that's what they do in verses 13 to 20. Phineas, who is the grandson for Aaron along with 10 of the tribal leaders pack up and they head over to Gilead. They head over the river to have a conversation. Were they doing it right? The answer is absolutely what? Yes, they need to investigate. What tells us though that they have a bias when they come in? The way that they investigated. They investigated with accusation. They came in Phineas, the high priest, and these ten tribal leaders were coming in with the perceived offense, saying, you have done this, and they brought this out. You've done this. You've built this altar. You've built this altar. What are you doing? You built the altar in this land and instead of even in your land. I would caution you, when you go to seek the truth, please don't go to them with the accusation. Say, can you help me understand something? I'm a little confused. This is, this is, and I may be wrong. Can you help me understand what's going on here? Because I really need some help. This is what I see. Is it right? Can can you can you help me come to a, a right understanding? How is that better than coming to a person and saying? You did this, you're wrong, you better explain yourself. Which is going to be better received? In an open opportunity. They came, Phineas and the other ten, they came and they said, you have acted unfaithfully against Yahweh. And you have rebelled against the brothers. Now wait a minute. Didn't Joshua just give them just great accolades about how faithful they were? They come and said, you've acted this way. Wagging the finger within this. And then I thought, why would Phineas do this? It's mentioned in the text. Because of what's called the sin of Peor. You can read about it in Numbers 25. But basically, what happened was Israel was drawn away to worship the God of the Moabites and Baal. And God was offended because all of Israel was worshiping the idols and he caused the plague. And 24,000 people died in that plague. And in order to stave off the plague, Phineas is the one that stopped it. Because when a man and a woman came in to be able to worship, he ran a spear through both of them and killed them. Stopped the plague. And Phineas was, according to a modern psychological word, Triggered. He says, oh, I'm not doing this again. You've brought judgment against the whole nation by doing this. And he jumped to this conclusion within this. The second assumption that was wrong, he says, you built the altar in Canaan land because your land is too corrupt to be able to worship God. And so you put it over here. If your land is too corrupt for you to live in, and you feel you need to come over to the Canaan land to be able to worship, then give up your inheritance, move back in with all the other tribes, and everything will be okay. What happens when we make false assumptions? What happens is we do this. We try to create an answer or solution without asking the questions first. What should he have done? Can you help us understand why you built the altar? Very simple. We see that you built an altar. Can you help us understand why? Instead of trying to insert opinion and presupposition into this. Thirdly, he says, you were just as unfaithful as Achan, who stole from God. And you're going to bring God's wrath upon all of us. So he brings out these three accusations. He brings about this assumption. He's confronting them. And, and keep in mind, you've got Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, their tribal leaders there, and they're hearing this, and they're going, wait, 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 time out. Let me explain. And they bring out the explanation in verses 21 to 29. They provide the facts first. They cry out, and if you notice how they cry out in these verses, they cry out to the name of God. They state and repeat multiple times. The name of God, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows in this. They declare their allegiance to God. Secondly, they say we are fully aware of what the law says. And if we violated the law, then please, as our brothers, don't stand in the way of God destroying us right now. We worship only God. And we know that the law brings about death for those who do such a thing. So let us explain. The altar is not for sacrifice. The altar is for a memorial. Because we're afraid that your next generation and the generation after and our next generation and the generation after are going to break apart. Because you're in the land, you're going to say to our next generation, You have no part of worship in the land. Why? Because of the Jordan River. A boundary within this. And so therefore we wanted to create this memorial, this witness. So that that won't take place. And we wanted to make it big enough so we can teach all of our kids. You see that altar down there? You see it? That's a reminder that we need to go to the tabernacle. To offer sacrifice. This is our link. Why did they make it so big? Because the natural boundary of the Jordan River would create a separation between the nation. But they made an altar bigger than the natural boundary to prove that the relationship with God and the worship of God takes priority over natural boundaries. So they explained it. This is not to create another place to worship. This is so that we will teach our next generation to be unified, to worship together, that we are part of the same, same nation within them. And Phineas accepted that. The ten accepted that. And they said, you were more faithful than we were because of your faithfulness And you're stopping and explaining what had happened and explaining the truth. You kept us from going to war with our own people, bringing the wrath of God down on us for fighting against our brothers unjustly. So what does that teach us? If someone makes a false assumption against you, don't retaliate. Communicate. Bring the truth. Choose to be more faithful in the cool head to bring the truth instead of being an addition to the war within that. The sons of Israel that were living in Canaan were about to destroy the others within their own nation. Satan was going to use them to bring destruction to the land. And they were more faithful because they said, No, this is our motive, this is our heart. And Phineas heard that. We need to avoid being offended quickly and making quick assumptions about situations. We need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to action. Because if we don't, if we continue to make false assumptions about things, we play right into the hand of the devil. We destroy the body of God. We destroy families and we destroy unity. We need to seek to live in peace. We need to seek to be faithful and honor God in everything that we do. We need to be in that place that that we can say to God, God, search me. Know me. Find if there's any wicked way in me before we go try to find any wicked way in anybody else. That's imperative. And we need to avoid these quick assumptions. I hope this lesson rings true in your heart. And this will help, help you navigate some difficult relationships. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you give to us this example that was lived out so long ago in the nation of Israel, but it's applicable today. God, I even think of what's going on in the, in the land of Israel today. And how many false assumptions are being made between those of Israel and those of Palestine and those of the world and all of these things and how the media plays into these narratives and we buy into it. May we stop and seek peace. The Lord our God, He is one. And may we serve Him in spirit and in truth and bring peace to conflict bring truth to light and avoid being part of the devil's schemes and bring in bringing destruction i pray god that you would bring a peace that passes all understanding to our hearts and minds even now in jesus name amen
0: we bow our
1: Clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another, and oh God, let us be a generation.
3: thank you that you are the God of truth and the God of righteousness and you are holy and just and that's what you want for us to live holy lives forgive us God for making assumptions against other people to be led by our presuppositions as if we have all the wisdom and all the knowledge, because we don't. May we come to you first and seek wisdom. May we go to others and seek peace. And in all things, may Christ be magnified. We praise you and we thank you for your word and our time this morning. Continue to do that work, Holy Spirit. May everything we say and do make you smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. And praise Jesus. Have a blessed week.